Okay. Awesome. All right, this morning, we're going to read from, I'm going to read from a couple uh, different places. Uh, but one of the things that we've said and we've been taught, we've all been taught in the past, is how that in the epistle of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians has to do with the height of, of the believer in Christ as his church. It's, it's the height, meaning that those of the church have the most intimate relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ and with God as their Father uh, because of the principles and truths of propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. Now, we can learn and, and glean. So when the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul write out the book, the epistle to Ephesians, he had in mind all the types that were in the book of Joshua. So we know that Joshua, in the work that God was doing in and through him personally, and then as a leader for the nation of Israel, uh, in, to lead them into the promised land, he was a type of Christ in that work that he did. So for us to understand Ephesians the way that God would have us to, in the whole preponderance of his thought, we take those two into consideration. So we have the epistle to Ephesians in, in a greater description and understanding in the new covenant than it was, but it still, in this sense, was for us to understand and glean from in the, the book of, of Joshua. And, but one of the things that we want to get to, and this is, this is what happens, uh, and that God would have us to see this morning here, and it's very, very important uh, for us, for all of us, to understand this in the love and desire of God's intimacy that he has with us, is to see what, what the principle is that God wants to, to bring about here uh, this morning. And so when I read this, when we read this, we see this. And we're going to see here in John the 10th chapter, and then we'll get back to Ephesians, and then we'll get back to another portion in the book of Judges, just to understand the full thought of God this morning. But when we read John, the 10th chapter, it, it states this in verse one, 1. It says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, and this is Jesus Christ, he's speaking to us through the word this morning. I think it's, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So truly, truly, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And we, in verse 3 it says, To him the porter, and again the porter here is the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14, and he shows them unto us. So to him the porter opens. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he calls them by name here, this is bringing out the beautiful principle of Revelation 2, 17, because we all have a new name, and it's written on a stone. And we've mentioned what that is in the past. We won't go into it this morning, but that's what that's bringing out. He calls his own sheep by their own specific name in terms of the intimacy of their fellowship that they have with him, his individual. And he leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This is a type of Joshua as he's leading them into the promised land. He, he goes before them. And our Savior has gone before us, Jesus Christ. And a stranger, they won't follow because they know his voice, but will flee from the stranger, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now this parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not the th things that 
that which he spoke unto him. Then Jesus said unto him again, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Meaning, too, when we hear the right way and we receive the things of Christ, we don't give over and submit to any other false authority. That's why the Bible makes it clear that even, very clear, that pastors and teachers are are gifts that are guides that lead people to the only authority, and that's Jesus Christ. So we can only function in that name, that new nature that has been given to us by Christ, when he is our only authority. He brings out the authority of his love in a very specific way to each of us. And then in that, in turn, in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, we become joints that supply. So again, he said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. They did not submit themselves to a stranger's voice. Jesus said again, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he will be saved, he'll be delivered, and he will go in and out and find pasture. He will go in, in this intimate relationship with me, and then he'll go out, and be a joint that supplies. And he'll find pasture. And pasture here, obviously, we know by Psalm 23, those uh, six verses there in Psalm 23, there is a place of rest. We rest in his love through complete and utter dependence. And that dependence releases the grace that Christ is. And then we function in the truth, and we submit to it, we hear it, and we have the authority of his love over us, and we, in turn, become that joint that supplies. So that's what it means to find pasture. Now the thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Again, that's when David, the psalmist, was under the anointing, David, under the anointing and guidance of God, the Holy Spirit, he said in Psalm 23, 5, he said, my cup overflows. You see, this is the abundant life. It's abundance. And again, this brings in Proverbs uh, 11 and verse 25. He that waters will also be watered. It brings in this beautiful principle. The liberal soul, it says, will be made fat, filled out in the fullness of Christ. And so this is what this is bringing out more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a harling, and not the shepherd, the harling, this speaks of the system. There wouldn't be a system in terms of Christianity. There wouldn't be a system without the flesh. Notice, and notice, and it's, it's an extremely incredible thing. There would never be a system of legalism, do's and don'ts, if there wasn't the flesh. Now, in Romans 8, 9, we have the flesh in, it, in us, but we're not of it. But you can function in it. And when you do, it brings in a system. It brings in a system, and someone, something else replaces Christ, and we know who it is. And we'll see this as we all need to see it this morning. But he that is a harling is not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and notice he scatters the sheep. And we're going to see what that means this morning. And I'm going to see it with you as God gave it this morning. And, you know, there, there are many divisions. And what we mean by that in this sense is like in so-called Christianity, but really it's Christendom. Christendom is just the principles that may be true of Christ, but they're brought about through the flesh, which causes divisions. And this is where we get denominations. <laughs> we get de nominations, many different ones. But what's even worse than division and what the enemy uses it for is to scatter the sheep. To scatter the sheep. 
and that's a Greek word there. The Greek word is S-K-O-R-P-I-Z-E-I. Okay? That's what that word is, and it's from the Greek word skorpidzo. Skorpidzo, and that's S-C-O-R-P-I-Z-O, and it means to dissipate. To dissipate. Figuratively, now, this is what it means when we don't have the authority of God's love to protect us. It means to put to flight, it put to fear, to waste the loving energy of God's life in Christ for the believer through thoughts that aren't, of course, the thoughts of God. And so this is what that means. To be, and then cause, believers living in the flesh, to be liberal or to be, in other words, free spending, right? to be routed or put to terror. Remember, there's no fear in 1 John 4 and verse 18. There's no fear in love. Fear is kalesis and it speaks of torment, torture, punishment, fear, put to flight. And to be, again, a torment, or to be stricken, now listen, or to be driven by some other impulses, to fly in every direction. You see? He scatters the sheep. Now, how did this happen, and how can we see this in a very, very amazing and in a very, very, very clear way? When we get to the book of Judges, and now we're going to glean from the book of Judges, but we're just going to look just very briefly at the first two chapters. Now, at this time in the book of Judges, that here we have the Hebrew nation, the Jews as a people on the earth, God's earthly people, the Jews. And we see them now, and this is some points we need to understand. So we see them now after the death of Joshua. Now, Joshua is that type that led them into the promised land. Now, many times we've been taught what the Red Sea and the Passover, the Passover in Exodus 12, 1 to 13, and then the, the, the points of the Red Sea in Exodus, the 14th chapter, we can see this. That is, is teaching us in the type that Christ died for us. But to enter into the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan. And the Jordan was the fact that they were now receiving their death with Christ. This brings out the beauty of Romans 6 and verse 9. He that dies once dies no more. There's no terror. There's no fear about death for the believer. It's a door into eternity. It's the door into being with him. In Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1, the day of one's death for a believer is greater than the day of one's birth. But here, now, in the book of Judges, and this goes into approximately three and 400 years of them being now in the promised land after the death of Joshua. And because of his death, they didn't have a central government. They didn't have God's means of government governing them, meaning they didn't have any unifying force. They didn't have that. And so, and so they were, had their own thoughts and they developed their own thoughts about God. And that's what they were functioning as. But because they didn't have the unifying force, they didn't have a, a proper leader. And please understand, our leader is Jesus Christ. I don't care whether we're a spiritual dad, a young man, or a babe. Our spiritual leader and the one and only is Jesus Christ, and he's our authority, period. Period. But the people here in the book of Judges, because after the death of Joshua, they did not take God very seriously. They didn't. And they were continually falling away from God into idolatry. Constantly. And this is what can happen to us at times as Christians. And this is what 1 John, and I'm going to turn and just read that very quickly. This is what 1 John, the fifth chapter, is teaching. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. 
says this, and we know those that are in Christ, we his church, we know the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. See, this is the grace and truth in John 1.14 that Christ is and as he came, the fullness of it all. And we are in him. We are in him. This is hearkening right back to Ephesians, the epistle to Ephesians, over 86 times in him, in him. We are in him that is true versus a lie, versus a thief, versus someone who comes up some other way. In his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God in eternal life. That's Jesus Christ. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. See, after the death of Joshua, the type of Christ, after their death, they didn't, they didn't take God seriously. And when they didn't, and when we don't take seriously who Christ is in us, what do we do? We fall right back into some form of idolatry. And that's what this is teaching. As we look at all of these scriptures that God has given us. And so they were functioning now in a state of anarchy. And what is anarchy? Freedom without any rule. All the lust patterns in Galatians 5, 19 to 21 take over. All those lust patterns. That's why it says, and wrote this down in my own personal as God was giving it to me and telling me, <laughs> me personally, dealing with me with his counsel. In 1 John 2.15, he speaks to the spiritual fathers, to the, to the young men and to the babes. Love not the world. Notice this, love not the world. Who controls the world system? Who's the God of this world? In John 12, and uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, who's the God of this world? The religious God of this world. Who is he? Who is the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2.2? 2, Who's the prince of this world system? It's ruler in John 12, 31 and 14, 30. This is the enemy. This is Satan. This is Satan. And so he gives us these rights, the Christian. He'll give the Christians the rights to do whatever is right in their own eyes, their own interpretation of the scriptures. In 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. And so they live in a state of anarchy. What is anarchy? It's freedom without any rule at all. I'm free to do whatever I want, think however I want. Whereas is tyranny, which is really is legalism, it's rule without any freedom. But here they were in, in a people that were living in anarchy. And as a result, the enemy taking advantage of that be, was surrounded them by their enemies and there was a constant attempt to exterminate them, to do away with them. Just like the enemy tries to do away with who we are in Christ or who Christ is in another. And so this is what this brings out. And this was a period of approximately between three and four hundred years. And then they had judges because they had no particular ruler. And what God would do in the meantime, he would raise up a judge. But when did he do that? This is when he did that. And we see this. But when they were in the promised land, when they were in there, God commanded them. And he commanded them in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. He commanded them to utterly destroy or drive out the Canaanites. That's typical of the flesh, the lustly patterns in the flesh that can be in us that we're no longer of. And we're to drive them out. And if Israel had fully obeyed that command, and his commands are the, the, the authority and protection of his love, it would have delivered them and saved them from all kinds of trouble. Where does that trouble come from? Where do all our struggles, in one sense, and troubles come from? It's the flesh that, that we function in us, but that we're not of in Romans 8. And verse 9. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 9 bring that out clearly. Clearly. So that then we see this. After the death 
of Joshua, they entered into all kinds of apostasy. They fell away. They fell away from the rule of God. They, they, felt, they, they fell away because they did not have the powerful leadership of Joshua and what God was doing through him as a type of Christ. You see, Joshua wasn't the type himself. It was the type of the work of God about Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit through him. Because after he had conquered the land, Joshua, and died off, there was a whole new generation. Oh boy. A whole new generation. And they began to settle in the land of plenty. Oh boy. Boy, it's the land of plenty. Listen, it's the land of plenty that gets the believer in trouble. It's when God overwhelmingly blesses us with material things that we, we really we start to get in trouble. Because those are the things the enemy uses to get us away from Christ and then to interpret everything according to our own thinking. Do, doing that which is right in our own eyes and then interpret the scriptures and interpret everyone else by that. They settled in the land of plenty. That's why it says in 1 John 2.15, love not the world. Why? Because who rules the world? The enemy does. Love not the world. Then it says this, and neither the things that are in the world. What are the things that are in the world that he would use to keep the believer from Christ? Material things. Those material blessings like he did here. That's what he did. Unbelievable. They soon lapse into the easygoing ways of their idolatrous neighbors, the world system. They started as believers to live just like the world. You know what God told me? He told me this very emphatically to me personally. He said this morning, Ed, you cannot have the things of the world without the one who is the ruler of the world. Notice that? You can't have that. Love not the world, it says. What does it mean to love the world? The enemy controlling the believer. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the enemy keeps out the experiential love of God. Keeps it out, the things of the world. They soon lapsed, you know, and he told me, and I wrote this down right here. I wrote it right down in this particular Bible right here. Satan and the flesh that's in us waste no time at all from settling down into the world when we forget God, forget his rulership, forget everything he's done for us. Forget everything that he's done for us and then to forget those that he's used and, and through them and everything that he did through them. And somehow now we separate the work that God did in that vessel. And we separate it. And then there's the differences that come. And there's a disconnect. There's no longer a beautiful expression of the oneness of his love. You can't counterfeit it. You know, we cannot counterfeit true love for each other. Can't do it. Cannot do it. So then what happened here? And we're going to see this here. We're going to see it. We see absolutely here. There are five, in these last five chapters of the book of Judges, at the end of this, between this three and four hundred period of the Judges, right? We see, we see these things happen. We see them very, very clearly as they begin to happen here. And there were... In those five times. But what happened? Each and every one of these times, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. How would we do that today as Christians, like the Jews did in the promised land? How? We would privately interpret the scriptures through the flesh. That's what we would do. And then the enemy, he causes a division. And when he causes a division, what's worse than the division? He scatters the sheep. How? Causing them to do what is right in their own eyes. We're not as valuable anymore to each other because we value other things. 
in place of, in place of it, in place of Christ and the vessel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They were ever the Jews here in the promised land and constantly falling away from, from God and falling into worshiping idols. <laughs> what are the idols? Things of this world. That's right. The things of this world. And you can't have the things of this world without having the enemy ruling and reigning over you or me. Experientially. Can't have it. They can't have it. And so what did God do? What did he do each and every single time? What would he do? Things that he would do. Tell you what he would do every single time. Then they would cry to God and God would have pity on them. And when they got right with God, now watch this, when they got right with God, when they were humbled and ready to receive grace, ready to receive the word, he would raise up judges to give it to them. He would raise them up. And those judges, and you see them all, with Samson and Gideon and all kinds of different ones, we see in the book of Judges, they saved Israel from their enemies. From their enemies. But at that, and, and he, he could do so, listen to this, as long as the judge lived. As long as they lived, the judge would live, the people would serve God. The judge would die, or they would refuse receiving from him. They'd go right back into idolatrous worship, the things of this world. The things of this world, are they bad in themselves? No, but will the enemy use them? Oh boy, what a difference Christians are to be. So exact opposite, we in Christ, is how the world lives. How different. We, they should choose, see the difference in Exodus 11 and verse 7, 1 Kings 18, 21. They, there should be such a difference. God put a difference between Egypt, those that were living in the world system, and Israel, those that were his. Those that were his. Yeah. When, the, ju when the, du and the judge would die, the people played the harlot. Ran right after idols again. That's what they did. And that's what we'll do. When he dies in our experience, when we forget him, right away we go to the world. We go right to the world. I'm going to tell you, we live just like the world. And confess, profess Christ, but he's not a, a proper experiential confession. And we live just like the world. We live just like that. But when they serve God, which means worship, by the way. So with my mind, I either worship the flesh. And really, who's controlling that if it's not Christ? It's the father of all eyes in John 8 and verse 44. But when they served God, which, and when they worshiped God and him alone, they prospered. And this brings in the reality of this. This is, this is we see in the balance of 1 John 2 and verse 15. We can see this brought out here, and we see it very clearly in 3 John, the third epistle of John. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. Notice that, the elder. Whom I love in the truth. You know, when we, we get away, we get away from Christ and ourselves and get away from those judges or those leaders that he's raised up. They lose value. We lose value. There's no value any longer. He said this, beloved, beloved, he said, I pray. Not I wish, I pray. It was his constant prayer. Above all things that you may prosper and be in health. <laughs> what does the world go after? What do we go after when it's not Christ? We want to prosper materially and we want our health, our natural physical health. That's what we go after. But I want you to, it's God's will that we prosper in being in good health. But even as your soul prospers, 
And the soul has to be cut off from taking precedence over the spirit in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. That's what has to happen. Everything's about the dollar. Everything's about these material things. And that becomes a precedence instead of Christ. Everything's about that. And that's for any of us in the flesh. Even as your soul prospers, for I greatly rejoice when the brethren came and testified of the truth of these things that were in you experientially, even as you walked in the truth and not in the world system. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. They don't just talk about it. Their lives live it. They live it. They don't have a separate plan and agenda from the local assembly. They do not have that, ever. They don't have those private plans, never, from a local assembly. They just don't. They never would, and they don't, because they know about Ephesians 5 and verse 21, submitting themselves to one another in the reverence of, of God Almighty. This is why we need to be so careful about the things that we may say. And we should know this as older people, how quickly we can get in the flesh. You know, a spiritual dad knows how quick it can happen. And that's why we need to be so careful about what we tell young people. Even if they are gifted, they have gifts. We need to be so careful because the enemy will use that to cause them to fall into condemnation through pride in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 6. And then privately interpret the scriptures. And privately interpret those that were once their leaders or their spiritual fathers. There's a disconnect that happens. There's a disconnect. Still come together, still look the same, but there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. And it's because there's a division. But what's worse than the division, it causes the sheep to be scattered. That's what happens. And this is what was... Uh, what God is teaching us this morning here. So again, whenever they were brought back through a judge, when they, when, and that's when God can give us the word. Isn't that the truth? When we get right, when we humble ourselves. Right? And humility, really, is what you and I are like towards one another before God. That's humility. Yeah, that's what 1 Peter 5, 5 is bringing up. 1 Peter 5, 6, right through 10. In James 4, 6 through 10, bringing out for all of us very, very clearly, God has a way and his own way. Listen, his own way of dealing with spiritual dads, his own way of dealing with young men, his own way of dealing with babes. He has his own way. He has his very specific way. So, and they would prosper when they were in a place in humility to begin to worship God again and not self and the things of this world. And when, But when they served idols, they suffered. <laughs> when they served anything else, just like us, when we serve anything else, and to serve it means we place it as a treasure above Christ, who is the treasure in us. This brings out 2 Corinthians 4, 7. This brings out Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. You cannot serve, you cannot worship two masters. You cannot do that. Can't be done for any of us. So they suffered. And, but the troubles that they experienced in the promised land, the Jews, are the same troubles that we experience. And you know what causes it? It's called disobedience. Doing what is right in our own eyes. No, I'm going to do what is right in my own eyes. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what is right in my own eyes. What is that? Well, that brings out the reality that in, in Psalm 10 and verse 4, in Psalm 10 and verse 4, what does it say very, very clearly? That God is not in all their thoughts. That means in any of them. When I mix my thought with God's thoughts, there is no God experientially in my thinking. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. And so... 
It's because of disobedience. It's no return of that love that he loved us with in 1 John 4.10 and 1 John 4 and verse 19, brought out in John 13, verse 1. He loved his, having loved his own, he loved them right unto the end. And now we're to love each other in, in John 13, 34 and 35. That's the royal command of the authority of his love to love one another, to deal with issues, to not hide them inwardly through our own thinking and doing what is right inwardly in our own eyes and thinking that somehow we can cover it. No, God wants, and what is the confirmation of God's love and the relationship of those that are his members in the body of Christ? It's called forgiveness, and we need to do that. And that's why, again, it's brought out so clearly in this way that when we have our own thinking, what do we do when we mix our thoughts with God's thoughts and doing what is right in our own eyes? Because we lose sight of who Christ is. What happens? Right, then we have Psalm 50, verse 21. They thought they were all together like me. They make themselves equal with me. And then they place themselves above those leaders, above the body of Christ. And they have their own agenda. You know, when you minister to people, do your best to bring them into the local assembly. Yeah, that's right. That's why you're in the local assembly. You're in the local assembly to be taught. And then you go out, as, in that sense, even as a missionary or an evangelist, to tell them about Christ, to get them saved, to bring them into the body of Christ. And that's, a, that's preparatory, and I know there's work in that too, obviously, that God has to do. But so that, so that there's no division. Private plans, private agendas have nothing to do with the authority and protection of God's love. So what happened is that it was directly due to their disobedience, and so they didn't keep themselves because they weren't kept. You know, Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, keep your heart. Always speaks of guarding and protection. That's God's love. That's his love. Keep your heart, your mind, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's either going to be an issue of worshiping yourself, and you think it is when it's the enemy, or worshiping Christ in John 4, 23 and 24. Proper worship in Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Proper worship. Sacrifice of praise to him. And there's no disconnect. There's no division through being scattered, scattering. And so, when they weren't kept, and that's again in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, huh? again, bringing it out very, very clearly, these truths, those truths are being brought out very, very clearly in Proverbs 23 and many other places in the book of Proverbs. And to have proper sight means to be, have the authoritative protection of God's love, which issues in wisdom. And wisdom is something that Christ is and that must be given to us. And, and God has a way of doing it. He has a way of giving the spiritual fathers that wisdom to give to the young men, the young men to the babes. That's how it works. 23 and verse 7. Here it is, and this is what it says here, and I'll read it very clearly here. For as he thinks in his heart, his mind, so is he. So is he. But you can eat and drink, says he to you, but his heart is not with you. These are all these material things that get in the way. The enemy uses to divide in a very bad way in a very, very bad way in what he can do. And so what happened with them when they did not, when they weren't kept through proper leadership, proper preaching and teaching of the word, or privately interpreting, or valuing less those, those that were these vessels of Christ. This is, again, in Hebrews 13, 7, those that went home to be with the Lord, and those that are living, Hebrews 13, 17, and Believe me, those that are living are the ones that to be, uh, uh, to be our guys. And not just to take the study books of those that have gone home to be with the Lord and then to use that to privately interpret. 
in Hebrews 13, 7. And the reason, there's a reason that God even took them home. So they wouldn't make more of that of the individuals that he used than Christ in the vessel. And this is what is being brought out here. So they didn't keep themselves in Christ. They weren't kept by the power of God in 1 Peter 1 5, and this for us is Christ. And so they were kept. They, then they were had all these different things of the world attached to them. They did not why? Because they didn't get rid of. They didn't exterminate all the enemies that were in that land. That's where the battle begins. The battle in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 began, and it begins with us as we learn these greater truths. That's when the enemy is going to come even more fiercely against us. To cause division between one another. To cause a disconnect experientially. Can't be covered. Can't cover it. Can't counterfeit it. You can't do it. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Christ comes, and he comes to give us this abundant life. So, when they didn't get rid of all their enemies, and for us, it's Galatians 5, 19-21, that is Matthew 15, 16 to 20, that's Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. And we need to have that done. And what brings it out clearly is Colossians 3 and verse 5. If you look at the first five verses in the third chapter of Colossians, we'll see this brought out. And you'll see it again in Romans the eighth chapter, right up to the 13th verse. And to be functioning properly in the 14th verse of Romans the eighth chapter. And it's bringing all these things out. But if they obeyed the commandments of his love, they prospered. When they didn't, they entered into trouble because there was a battle for the mind. And today, the battle for the enemy versus Christ is the mind of the believer. The mind of the believer. It's the struggle for mastery. And that's what we need when we come to hear the word. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the preparation before we come to hear the word. Notice, I beseech you, brethren. And this again goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. How to deal with it individually. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I can't present, I can only present my own body. I can't present someone else's. That's what they're to do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your only reasonable right thinking. Reasonable, again, not doing what's right in your own eyes, your own reasonings and imaginations in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, which need to be cast down, that come from a high thing from the enemy. It causes us to live in disobedience and not in the obedience of Christ. And so, this is what happens. There's mastery for that. You cannot serve two masters in Matthew 6 and verse 24. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't. You can't worship both. You cannot do it. That brings into 1 Timothy 6, 9. You bring in money, it, be, it, it starts to pierce you through. It's a setup to pierce you through with many sorrows. Because the inordinate, the un Believable association with money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil in itself, but it can, it can bring in evil. The enemy can use it. When we make more of that, when we live just like the world, isn't world, they want to prosper materially and have great health. But there's something, and God does God want to give us? Sometimes he can't. But you know the test, the greatest test is when God blesses us the most with the material things. That's the great test. If our heart is truly still after him in the body, esteeming others better than ourselves. That's the true test when it comes. That's the true test to reveal. Who, and so there's the battle of the mind. The enemy wanting to gain mastery over the believer through the things of this world. Right. 
the pleasures, the ease of this world, all of that. <laughs> is there any true ease in this world system? Is there really nothing but trouble? Nothing but trouble. And God will use it to humble us. He's always after, the, the, the enemies after the will, they gain possession of the mind of the believer. That's the struggle. And that's what Paul was saying in Galatians 4 and verse 19. I travail again in birth till Christ be formed in you. Do you be till you're brought back to a place where you value Christ in you, and now you value Christ in another, and there's no disconnect. There's no private thing, and it can even be nonverbal, by the way. But it's just as apparent, not through condemnation and accusation, but through discernment. It's just as apparent as if it would be verbalized. It's just as apparent. It can be just that way. Again, always after the will and mind. And that's why he said, the flesh lusts against the spirit. This is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you cannot and you won't do the things. So if I live in the flesh, do you think I'm going to mind the things of the spirit? Live in obedience? Not... Not just with my material things, but my spiritual things? No, of course I'm not going to. But in the spirit, it's the opposite. No wonder it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. The greatest thing you can do. You know why God blesses us materially? Yeah, to take care of our families, but to bless others. And not use it to settle down in the world. And allow the enemy to use it to cause division so that we become scattered. Distance between believers and a local assembly. Distance he wants to cause. Through scattering, through men and women doing what they think is right in their own eyes. But without including the whole, the body of Christ. And this is what is brought out here very, very clearly here. And this is. This, there's so much here. There's so very, very much here. So very much, again, that God wants to bring out to us. Bring out very, very uh, clearly in these scriptures. But this is what God's purpose is. And this is the thing the enemy is after in the believer. This is the very thing that he is after in the believer. And this is where we're going to go here. And we're going to close here in these last 10 minutes with this. And we're going to see this. How he does the enemy, does the scattering, and the reason for it. And we'll see this in Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. Follow it and read it through. All that beautiful reality in Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 1, right through 8. But look at verse 9. Having made known unto us, what is the mystery? The thing that's missing. The thing that we need to know more than anything. The mystery of his will. Who fulfilled his will in John 4 and verse 34 and Psalm 47 and 8. Jesus Christ fulfilled his will. He finished the work. He is the very will of God. He's the very wisdom of God. He finished the work on Calvary in John 19 and verse 30. What is this? According to his good pleasure. Where was all his good pleasure? In Matthew 3 and verse 17 and 17 and verse 5. In, a, in Revelation 4 and verse 11, it was all in his son. And now we see his son in each other and we see value. And we place them and esteem them better than ourselves. Not that we don't take care of our families. But we put God first and we esteem them as our family. They're not separate. We don't have a separate plan, a separate life, a separate way of doing things. Oh, there's such a disconnect in the body of Christ. And I'm sure it grieves the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4 and verse 30 and quenches him in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19. And, uh, and God forbid that I should function in any area of the flesh or any of us. But having made known unto Islam, us 
the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, and this is what we want to get to, which he has purposed in himself. You see, his purpose was in himself, and it's not in anything else. It's not in the things of this world. It's not. There's no purpose in them. None whatsoever. They'll lose their value quicker than you can think. They'll lose their value so quick. What you and I esteem above Christ in our vessel and esteem and, and, and not esteem him in others or not esteem the body of Christ now. We place ourselves in pride, who profane us, above the body of Christ, above each other, through a disconnect. And there's a disconnect. There is. How does God deal with those and believers? He does it through the protection of his love. It's called forgiveness. Once again, a confirmation of God's love. But we need to first confess it to Christ in 1 John 1 and verse 9, then confess it to each other when we need to in James 5, 15 and 16. This is what we need to do. And to bear one another's burdens. We don't just bear our own burdens. I'm so overwhelmed with my own burdens and taking care of them, I forget others. So quickly. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We all have our own burdens to bear. But we have those as high priests. We go in. The high priest went in, in Ezekiel the 44th chapter. He went into the presence of God for himself, getting right in Acts 6, 4, but then for others. That's what our life is about. And that's a local assembly, a body of Christ. That's the thing the enemy doesn't want. Because it has to do with God's purpose, which is Christ himself, God's purpose. We see this again as, again, we begin to close this morning, and we're going to need to get into this, if God has it, on, on Thursday, if he has it, if he does. That in the dispensation, in Ephesians 1.10, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one. Do we see this? We're not living our separate lives. We don't use our material things just for ourselves. We don't. We don't do that. It's not to be that way. You read it in Acts, the second chapter, and the third chapter, and the fourth chapter. Look what they did. They pulled all their things and lived together that way, in that sense. Of course, we have to take care of our families. But are our families separate from the body of Christ? Are they? Or do we separate them from them? Do we? We all have a responsibility and accountability, but that includes the body of Christ of whom even my natural family can be in its proper order. Of course and we need to do that as husbands and fathers to take care of them, of course. And that never excludes that, obviously. But when we have the body of Christ, then we know how to take care of them. We do, and that's the place where we learn to do that, all of us might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in the heavens and which are, which are on the earth, in him, in whom also we have already obtained an inheritance. You know, it's not the things of this world. It's not our inheritance. That's the world. Their prosper, their money, their health. That's the world. That's the world. And we may have those at times. And God may have to take it away from us at times. Did you know when he takes those away, that we call the lean times, those are the times when we need, and we, we are caused to be most dependent on him. Most of our troubles come from, from when he blesses us with all these things and we get away from him and get away from the body of Christ and others. For any of us. Well, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. That's Jesus Christ. That we, we should be to the praise of his glory. Flesh doesn't want that. No, Galatians 6, 14. God forbids that I should glory individually. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 7. God forbids that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to this, for me and you, of whom the whole world is crucified. Those are the things in the world too. And the world unto me. Unto me. 
Well, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first hoped and trusted in Christ. And then we were sealed. And that seal spoke of the fact that we were no longer our own. No longer our own. The cross crucified the flesh's right to be exalted. And by the way, to take care of itself. What makes us think that we take care of ourselves? What makes us think that we can do anything without Christ in John 15, 1-5? So here we have this word, again, where he, where he purposed these things. And I don't have the time this morning because I want to be respectful of schedules. And, uh, but we'll get into these words uh, in, in Ephesians 1.9 and in these different places. But that word is purposed. God's purpose, which he purposed in Ephesians 1.9 in himself. In himself. Listen, this goes into propitiation. Oh gosh, listen to this. Propitiation which has to do with God's glory, which is Christ the substitute. And will I substitute him for the things of this world? Then will I experience reconciliation. And if I'm not reconciled to him experientially, would I be with another believer when I'm challenged? When I am challenged about areas of the flesh. Any of us, when I'm challenged then there becomes this disconnect. And once they were valuable to me, there was honor and value in them. And now it just, now there's a disconnect and now we're doing our own thing here. Separate. It's a separate thing. Because there's a division. Because the sheep, what's even worse than division, have been scattered and and what they think are their own thoughts, which is really, for any of us, would be a private interpretation of the Scriptures. So Thursday, we want to get into these things, and I really believe that God's going to have us to do that, all of us, as we gather together, all of us together around Christ, to bring out what these words are and what they mean in a very, very deep way. And these, listen, these truths are brought out. These truths are brought out. This is why the pastor is not the authority over believers. He's a guide to lead them to him who is the rule. But you can't be disconnected from them without functioning on your own. Without functioning on your own. And preaching and teaching of the word. The preaching and teaching. And remember, there were three other, there's a total of four places where they did that which was right in the book of Judges in their own eyes. There was Judges we read in 21, 25. They, every man began to do that which was right in his own eyes. Again, it was in 17 and verse 6 and 18 and verse 1. And God raises up leaders. And that's not an excuse for anyone other than Christ to order or to be the rule in another individual's life. Ever. Ever. That's not the reason that he raises up those that are leaders. They are guides. They are guides. Perfect in themselves? No. No. But nevertheless, his guides. Those that he has appointed for his purpose. And we'll get into these things, I believe, in a deeper way, in a way that God truly desires for us to understand on Thursday. And Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. Your, your love for us is so incredible. And, and we don't have any proper active energy of your love without the light of the scriptures, without the light that Christ is through the word. And then we don't have energy. And when we don't, we go to the world to look for it. But it, it always wears us out. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you've come to give us life. Father, thank you for the life and conviction and counsel and loving counsel of your word this morning for us. Oh God, please use it to reconcile believers in local assemblies that need to be reconciled for forgiveness to flow, for value from one vessel to the other to flow, to let it flow, and for God to do away with all distance, division, and scattering in our thinking. 
to think that God would think one way about me but differently about another believer is so insisters in his heart. Thank you for the active energy of your love through the light of the scriptures and light is that that refuses to be mixed with anything other than itself. Thank you, Father, for these truths in Jesus' name. Amen.